following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We are in Ephesians, and we are in the last chapter of this book this morning. So we've, we've made a lot of progress. We've covered quite a bit of ground in uh, this letter to the Ephesians, and we start this morning in chapter 6. So you can be getting your Bible out and uh, turning there. And just to get our bearings with where we are in, this, in the context of this book, we're in a section uh, that is often referred to as the household code. And there, there were many household codes floating around in the Roman world, and this is a Christian household code that Paul writes. Uh, and it really covers the way in which the gospel uh, affects relationships within the household, at least the household as it was structured in the first century. So we looked last week at uh, instructions to husbands and wives. We talked about the marriage relationship. This morning we'll talk about children and parents. And then next week uh, there's this little bit on slaves and masters, which will be interesting. And we'll figure out how that applies to us, because not many of you have slaves, probably. Uh, or some might think you do. Uh, or some might think you are. But uh, we'll talk about that next week. But this is all under the banner of figuring out, asking ourselves the question, how does the Christian faith outwork itself within the home, within the family, within the household? How do we take this great big story of God, God's redemptive story, how do we take this great big love of God that, that Grant uh, prayed about and bring this right down to the practicalities and the everydayness of the relationships with people that are often the closest to us. Those are the questions that we're asking at the moment. So we have this passage in front of us this morning, which is quite short. So I'm just going to read it myself. It's uh, at the beginning of Ephesians 6. We're just going to take the first four verses because this is sort of a contained section here. But uh, here it is, Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. I remember when uh, Josh was really little and he was learning to talk, learning to say his first words, you know, and we'd encourage him to say whatever he was seeing, to name that thing. So if he sees a bird, say bird. And if he sees a boat, say boat. And... At that age, when he was really little, he was really into trucks, loved trucks. And so, we, but the problem was he couldn't quite say truck, yeah. if you know what I mean. And so the, the TR sound didn't always come out that well. And so he would very excitedly, would be walking down the road and he would see a truck and say his version of truck, you know. And we probably got a few looks, you know, as we, as we were wandering along. And then he, he also really loved dump trucks. They were his favorite kind of trucks. But he also couldn't pronounce the P on dump particularly well. So we also got a few <laughs> looks for that one, too. Probably some parents really wondered in the early days, you know, like, what are these parents doing? What words are they teaching these, this, this child, you know, and encouraging him to say this with such enthusiasm? So, and that's just one of many moments that we've had, many interesting moments in our up and down journey of parenting. I can assure you we are very imperfect parents, very flawed parents, and we have some very flawed children. Uh, thankfully, none of, them are in, none of them are in the room right now, so I can talk about them. But uh, we are on this journey of, of parenting, and so this is pretty close to home for us, what Paul says this morning, all of this to, to parents and to children. But I want, I want to just say at the outset, I know uh, many of you don't have children. 
And you might feel, if you don't have kids, that this doesn't apply to you, that you're not in, in that place in life. But the reality is what Paul says here, in one way or other, is applicable to all of us. First of all, because we all have parents, right? Uh, even if your parents are not alive anymore, what Paul says is still relevant to you because you can honor or dishonor the memory of your parents, I think. And so at any age, this is relevant to us. And the reality is we all have a family in some form. We've all got a, you might not like them, but you've got a family. You, know, you might not be living with them. Uh, you might be on different continents from them. You might have growing children. You might not be all under the same roof. You might have really difficult relationships with family. Uh, and that, there are so many different sizes and shapes and types of families these days. But in one way or another, we all have families. You might have a broken family. Uh, but the reality is, I think, as you read Scripture, every family is a broken family. Even, even families that look normal, they're still broken, aren't they? Because they're made up of broken people. Uh, We're all broken. We're all sinful. We all have, therefore, broken families. We bring our own brokenness into our family relationships, and it causes problems. And so what what this passage is is teaching us is how how we can come to terms with that brokenness in our families, and then how we can address it and begin to let the gospel make a difference in some of these relationships. So it's a pretty clear passage divided into two sections. Paul first talks to children, and then he talks to parents. So it's going to be a message of two halves, uh, and we're just going to go with the children and then the parents and uh, see what you can take from this. So the first instruction is to children, and it's pretty straightforward in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, this was all pretty standard stuff. Uh, In the first century, this was absolutely expected, that children would obey their parents, that they would submit to their parents, they would respect their parents and defer to them in all matters. So there's nothing particularly new or novel here. But what Paul then does is he takes that command for children to obey their parents, and he grounds it in a much deeper command. And this is what he does in verse 2. He then goes much further back in the biblical story and says in verse 2, honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise. So what's he doing there? He's going all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to Exodus, all the way back to the Ten Commandments. And this is the fifth of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. So in other words, Paul is saying, we're not going to take our cues on family values from the world. We're not going to take our cues from culture. Sometimes they'll get it right, sometimes they'll get it wrong. We're going to go back to the Word of God. We're going to go back to the biblical story. We're going to go all the way back to the Ten Commandments and derive our family values from there. That's where Paul takes us. That's where he grounds us in the central command to honor our father and mother. Now, we usually think of that command as just relating to children. And it does relate to children, of course. You know, children are, are to obey and respect and, and submit to and honor their father and mother. But that command applies to us at any age. So as you, as you get older, you get into your preteen and your teen years, and we've got our grapple kids in this morning. It's very fortuitous, isn't it? Our grapple kids, this is for you. Uh, youth, young people that are here, this is for you to obey your parents, to look up to them, to listen to them, to treat them with respect, to do what they ask you to do with a willing heart. This is written for you, but not just for you. Because as you go on in your life journey, even after you've left home, you get into your 30s, into your 40s, you get into middle age years, this command is still just as applicable to you. Even as you get into your senior years, this command is still just as applicable to you. For any of us at any stage, we all have parents, 
And therefore, we're all implicated in this command to honor our father and mother. Now, that honor, that word honor, it just means to value, to show respect, to show proper love and reverence to the parents that God has given us. It's pretty straightforward. And for some of us, that comes pretty easily, pretty naturally. Some of you have had really positive experiences with your parents. They're a positive influence in your life. They've done a pretty good job of raising you. And it's not hard to turn around and love them, show support to them. You've got a reasonably good relationship with your parents, and this is not a difficult command to follow. Others of you are in a totally different category. And for some of you, you look at that command, and that is a pretty tall order to honor your father and mother. Because for whatever reason, it's been really tough for you with your father or with your mother. To be honest, it's usually fathers where that really difficult relationship comes. And you might have had a really tough time of it with one or both of your parents. You might have been the victim of abuse, of neglect. You might have had a parent that has done things that have still left you with a lot of scars, still a lot of trouble in your life. There's repercussions that you're experiencing now because of things that they have done to you a long time ago. You might have parents that have done things to other people or they've treated other people in a way that is so dishonoring, it's affected you. And it's affected, it forever changed the way you looked at them. And that's very, very difficult to deal with. You might have had parents that are just such a dysfunctional person themselves, they could never really be a good parent. They, they, were, they had so many problems. They were so messed up. And maybe they never intended to be like this, but they just really had nothing good they could pass on to you. And so they were just barely anything of a parent at all. And you're still carrying that with you. Some of you just looking at this passage and thinking about this stuff and even thinking about your mom or your dad, it raises these feelings of bitterness or anger. For some of you, anxiety. These are not easy things to deal with. And so you look at this and you think, there is no way I could ever honor that man. There's no, if you only knew what he did, if you only knew what she did, if you only knew what they didn't do and how this went and what my childhood was, there's no way you would ever ask me to honor my father or my mother. I cannot honor that person. They are dishonorable. Now, that is absolutely valid, and I'm not taking anything away from the hurt that may have been done to you. But I think it's important that we understand what we are being called to, what we're being asked to do, and what we're not being asked to do. To honor our father and honor our mother does not mean tolerating the wrongdoing. It doesn't mean that you just pretend it's all fine. right? It doesn't mean you just kind of whitewash it all and oh, just pretend like that never happened, put a fake smile on your face and just act like everything's fine. It doesn't mean that at all. I don't think that's honoring. It's not honoring to you anyway to, to do that. I don't think that's honoring to God. It doesn't mean that you overlook the wrong that's been done to you. It doesn't mean that you put up with it. It doesn't mean that you don't have to put healthy boundaries between yourself and your parents sometimes, maybe even between your children and your own parents at times in order to protect yourself and protect them. That is all par for the course when these things have been done to you or done to others. To honor your parents does not for a minute mean overlooking the damage that they may have caused you and caused other people. But what it does mean is to say, if God has treated me with such incredible grace, even when I treated him with contempt, even when I acted dishonorably towards him, if God has poured out love and grace and kindness and forgiveness into my life and treated me in the opposite way that I deserve, am I willing now as a child of God to show something of that love, something of that grace, something of that kindness, 
to my mother or my father, even though they don't deserve it. It's not saying they suddenly become deserving of it, and it's not saying they're necessarily going to change. They may not. But it's saying even if nothing's reciprocated, even if it never makes a difference in their life, even if they remain a dishonorable person, it's not about them being honorable. It's about me being honoring. It's about me being an honoring person. And out of my seeking to honor the Lord, am I willing to show just a fraction of that grace that's been given to me to my parents, even though that's really, really hard to do? That's what we're being called to. That's what Scripture calls us to. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. But by God's grace, these are steps that we can take. I want to read you a story. Uh, It's the story of a woman in our church, and she's given me permission to share this. Uh, I'm going to share it anonymously just to protect her confidentiality. But this is someone in our community who's experiencing this and wrestling with this. And this is a bit of her journey, and it might just help to see how this is playing out in someone's life. All my life... My dad has been difficult with a capital D. I don't wish to malign him, so perhaps the actions that I've taken may seem to some to be harsh and unloving. But there came a point where I just had had enough of his behavior and the stress that it had put us all through. My sister and I wrote a letter to my dad laying out the fact that his poor behavior would not be tolerated any longer. If he wanted to be at family occasions and be included in family life, he would need to realize that his behavior needed to change. I'll admit that at the time I was angry with him for all the years of hurt, stress, and anxiety that he had caused. After sending the letter, we waited and waited for a response from him, but to this day he's never provided anything in the form of an apology or an acknowledgement of any wrongdoing. One Sunday, I happened to speak to Anna Munn about the situation. A few weeks later, she gave me a book called Forgiving Our Fathers and Mothers. Through reading the book, I came to realize that by being angry and not wanting to forgive my father... I was acting like the servant whose great debt was paid and forgiven by the king, and yet he was not willing to forgive another. So in my heart, I knew that I had forgiven my father, and God somehow dealt with all the resentment that I felt and took it away. Earlier this year, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. He was told that he would have to undergo chemotherapy. At this point, my sister and I decided that my parents would be facing a very challenging time, and we had to be there to help and support them, especially my mum. We had to do the right thing, even if he never does. So after having no contact for over three years, we went over to their home and offered our support. Since then, we've had weekly visits with them and helped where we could. This has opened the door to having discussions about life and death and salvation and other matters. The story is still ongoing, and I pray that true salvation, repentance, and restoration will still come. So there's someone who is seeking to do what they can to honour her father, even though he remains to this day a dishonourable person in her life. And you see in there the balance of grace and truth. Can you hear that in that story? There's, there's truth there. I mean, they wrote the letter. They laid out the facts. They didn't tolerate. They didn't say, we're just going to put up with what he's going to be doing. But they confronted this and wrote the letter. But alongside that truth, there is grace. There is a genuine desire and effort 
to act with kindness and with love, even though it's the opposite that's coming the other way. And that's, that's who Jesus was, full of grace and truth. And that's what he calls us to be in regard to our parents, full of grace and truth. There's a time for the truth, and then there's a time for grace. And for those of you that have been deeply hurt by your parents and are carrying those scars, it may be that the very first step is just starting a journey of forgiveness. Just starting, taking a first step. It might not even be having a conversation with them yet. Maybe that's down the track. It might just be between you and God. You come honestly and and face up to the, the deep hurt that has been done to you and begin that journey of handing that bitterness, handing that resentment, handing that rage and that anger that you feel towards your parents over to God and, and begin to let him change your heart. Begin to let him soften your heart. Begin to give you a spirit of forgiveness. And that forgiveness is probably going to be a long journey. The deeper the wound, the longer the time it's going to take to heal. It could be a lifelong journey of continuing to forgive over and over again. But maybe that's what God's nudging you to do today. Just start that first step on the long road to forgiveness. Maybe for you, it's reestablishing contact. Some of you may be completely estranged from your parents, and you've just put up the walls and there's no contact. And I understand that. It's completely understandable in view of what may have been done to you. But maybe today, God is just nudging you and saying it's time for the ice to thaw just a little bit. It's time for you to reach out. It's time for you to send that text. It's time for you to pick up the phone. It's time for you to have that conversation. It's time for you to send a letter or send the email or whatever you need to do. I know they don't deserve it. I know there's nothing in them that's worthy of it. But think again of how God has treated you when we were least deserving of it. He still reached out in love. I know nine out of ten people are going to walk the other way from this. And it seems so countercultural. But this is where our faith makes a difference. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where our Christian faith needs to become action. And we're willing to say, out of the grace that we've received, can I extend in God's grace, because I can't do it by myself, but could I extend just a fraction of that to my mum, to my dad, and just crack open that door of communication that's been closed for so long? Maybe that's the step that God's calling you to take. Maybe there's some practical way of serving them, supporting them, Showing kindness to them that God's nudging you to take and saying, I want you to honor them in this practical way. They're going through a difficult time or whatever it is. I want you to show love. Here's something that you can do to reach out, to try and mend those, those, those uh, torn down bridges and reach out with love and with kindness. What is that step that God is calling you to take today to honor your mother, to honor your father? The reality is we are all prodigal children. Yeah? We're all prodigal children of God, prodigal sons, prodigal daughters. But God is also saying to us, you've got some prodigal parents out there. There's some prodigal mums and there's some prodigal dads. And God's saying, just as I've welcomed you home, I want you to welcome them home too. I want you to welcome home your prodigal fathers. I want you to welcome home your prodigal mothers. This is not easy. But by God's grace and in his strength, we can take these steps and the Holy Spirit will give you his help every step of the way honoring our fathers and mothers. So this is the challenge that we have. This is what the gospel calls us to. And then Paul comes right around the other side of the table and he speaks to parents. He's talked to children and now he comes and has a word to parents in verse four. And it's just one verse, but here's what he says to parents. Fathers, and he means by that fathers and mothers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So the idea of exasperating your children, it it 
literally means provoke them to anger. In fact, in some older translations of the Bible, if you've got the old King James Version, I think it says provoke them to wrath. (laughs) Do not provoke your children to wrath. I feel like we've got enough wrath in our household without me having to provoke it. It just happens. But the idea is that as parents, we try not to do things that make our kids angry for the wrong reasons. Because aren't there already enough times that we're going to make them angry for the right reasons because we've got to discipline them or deny them something for their own good? But the instruction is don't make them angry for the wrong reasons. Don't unnecessarily make them frustrated and bitter and angry just by your own selfishness or your own impulsiveness or your own stupidity. If we're going to make them angry and frustrated, then let's do it for the right reasons. That's what Paul's saying. So that's the negative example. But then he says, on the positive hand, in the positive sense, bring them up in, this, in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, this really is the central commandment that we have as parents. And it's throughout the Bible. I mean, this is one example, but it's there in different ways, and it's stated in different ways throughout the Scriptures, but it comes down to this as parents. The calling that we have, our primary calling, is to shepherd the hearts of our children toward Jesus. That's it. It's not just to give them information. It's not just to tell them stuff. It is to shepherd the hearts of our children towards Jesus. And I know it's, it's easy to say, well, you know, I just want to let them find their own way. And let's just, you know, they, they, they're going to explore and they're going to ask questions. And when they're old enough, then, you know, I'll tell them this and, you know, I'll kind of share a few things. And if they come to me and they want to know about faith, of course, I'll tell them about faith. But, I, you know, it's important. They make their own way in the world. They make their own decisions about what they believe. I can assure you, if you take that approach, you have already lost the battle. It's gone. It's over. You are utterly naive to think that. Doesn't our culture already have a massive effect on our children? See, if you, if you take that approach, I'm just going to let them find their own way. You're assuming we're in neutral territory. You're assuming it's all just neutral ground. We live in one of the most secular cultures that has ever existed. Every day our kids are being discipled and not in a good direction. Every day our kids are being discipled by the culture. They're being discipled away from Christ by who they talk to, by what they listen to, by the games they play, music they listen to, TV they watch, whatever. They are being discipled in completely the opposite direction. If we want to have any hope of bringing them and ushering them into the kingdom of heaven, we are going to have to work against that. We're going to have to swim upstream from all of that. We're going to have to be proactive about doing it. And do you not realize we have an enemy who wants to try and lure your kids away? Don't you realize we're in a spiritual battle here? That there is an enemy who is doing all he can right now to try and seduce your children over to his side and his territory and turn them away from the Lord. It's not mumbo-jumbo stuff. This is the real spiritual battle that we're fighting. And if we assume, well, they'll just find their own way, I can tell you exactly which way they'll find. And it's not a positive way. Parents, of course your children have their own decisions to make as they grow older. Of course God gives them their own free will. But our calling is to do all we can to shepherd their little hearts so that it is the most natural thing for them to run into the arms of their Savior when they're old enough to choose to do that. That's our calling. And if we're going to do it, we are going to have to be purposeful. We're going to have to be proactive. And we're going to have to be intentional about it. So let me just mention three things. There's a lot that could be said on this, and I commend to you the parenting seminars that are in your bulletin, but let me just mention three things. First of all, lead them into Scripture. 
Lead them into the Bible. And this is quite good because when they start asking questions about the Bible and you start reading Bible stories, you realize how little you know about the Bible. So it's good for your own Bible reading too, isn't it? You've got to go back and look, look at the Bible yourself and find some answers. But from the youngest age, we can be reading the Bible to our kids. Find an age-appropriate Bible. The Jesus Storybook Bible, I think, is still the best one on the market for younger children. Wonderfully written, beautifully illustrated, and every story in some way points to Jesus. Get a copy of that and just be reading it to your children. doesn't matter if not much goes in. Just have that practice in your home of reading it to them. As they get a bit older, there are other age-appropriate Bibles they can start reading for themselves. Lawson, our middle boy, seven years old, he's sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes reading the Action Bible, which is a great Bible for boys because it focuses on the stories in the Bible with all the blood and guts and gore and violence, which they love. Now, maybe that's problematic in other ways, but hey, at least they're reading the Bible, right? So he's reading this, and he, it's like a cartoon strip there. It's fantastic. There's blood there. So he, you know, he can get into that at times, and he can find his way through it a little bit. It's a good one for boys. Look, we can recommend other versions. There's probably some good ones for girls too. I wouldn't know, but Biffy will know. So ask her. There'll be other Bibles that we can recommend, but see if you can immerse your kids in Scripture just as part of your home life. Uh, we have a memory verse in our home. So where we sit in the dining room, there's a board there and, uh, you know, where you can change the letters and things, and we put a memory verse up on there, change it every couple of months. So that when we're sitting around at the dinner table sometimes, and look, we're not great at this, okay? We're very, it's very imperfect, but these are the things we're trying to do. Uh, we'll try and have a conversation about the memory verse and just mention it to them. And what we're really trying to do is lock as much Scripture into their lives as we can. Because we're not so much thinking of now. I mean, now is now, but I'm thinking of their teenage years. I'm thinking of their young adult years when the pressure is really on and they hit all the turbulence of that. I want to have, I want to equip them with as much Scripture as I can. I want to sow as much of it into their lives as I can now so that when they get older, there's something there for them to draw on. There's something there for God to work with, in a sense. And that, Lord willing, it might stir something in their hearts, in those tough times, tough decisions, whatever it is. So I want to try and lock in as much of the Bible now, even though it may only mean a limited amount to them now, because I'm thinking of down the track what I want to be invested in their hearts as they grow older. So find those ways, parents, of reading Scripture to your children and with your children and just having the Bible swirling around in your home. Make it part of the air that you breathe, so to speak. Create that culture. Secondly, lead them in prayer. Of course, before our children are even born, you can be praying for them. And we need to commit to doing this as parents. Whatever age your children are, doesn't matter. Be praying. Are you praying for your kids? Are you, are you honestly lifting them up to God and praying that he'll bless them? Praying that in the, those moments when they face those decisions, that something will kick in, that the Holy Spirit will kick in and he will guide them and lead them, that God will protect them, that he will go ahead of them, that he will bless them and keep them. Pray for your kids. Pray the scriptures over your children. And as they are able to, start praying with them. And you can do this from quite an early age, I think. Encourage your kids just to talk to Jesus, talk to God. Talk to him like a friend. Equip them with that ability to talk to Jesus just like a friend. And they are going to pray for the dumbest things. Let me tell you, they will pray for some pretty stupid things, kids. And you can think, oh, that's a bit silly. Maybe that's a bit sacrilegious. I mean, our kids just pray for all. They pray for their Lego. They pray for their soft toys. They pray for various inanimate objects. Sometimes they pray for toilet humor. You know, it's just all sorts of stuff. And it's easy to kind of think this is complete rubbish. 
But the reality is, I don't think God cares. I think God's just delighted that his children are talking to him. I think he doesn't mind. I think he's like, just, just come to me, just talk, just say anything. I'm listening, I'm here. So just encourage your kids. Doesn't matter what comes out of their mouth. Just let, you are teaching them a language. You are teaching them a relationship. You're teaching them what it is to relate personally to Jesus. I remember when I was a boy, I had the first few lines of the Lord's Prayer in my head. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's all I had. And I remember as a, as a young boy, several times when I'd just be so frustrated in different situations and things were going on, and I'd recite those three lines. But that's all I had. That's all that was in there. And I never could get any further than that. And I could never turn it into anything else. And I wish now that I'd known I could just talk to God like I talked to a friend. I could just talk to him about exactly what's on my heart. It doesn't need to follow a script. It doesn't need to be exactly the Lord's Prayer. It's just I can just talk to him. I, I don't know why I didn't know that. I'm sure my parents told me at some stage, but it just wasn't there. Parents, teach your children that Jesus is a friend who is right there. They can talk to him anytime about anything using any words they want to. Just not dump truck. <laughs> That's right, just not dump truck. So be careful about that one. But encourage your children to pray in whatever way, in whatever way they want to and feel free to. And as they see you praying, this is going to become more and more natural for them. So lead your children into scripture, lead your children into prayer, and then lead your children to church. One of the most important things you can do as a parent is put a community around your children. The research now is that to really invest in the faith formation of our children takes five significant adults in the life of that child, not just one. It's not just one parent or one youth pastor or one whatever. It's five Christian adults investing in different ways in the life of that child or young person to optimize the chance of them growing into a faith for themselves. Now, some of those parent, uh, people could be family. Others are going to be within the church. And this is incumbent on all of us then, isn't it? As a family of faith, to look around at the little ones among us, to look around at the teenagers among us and say, how can we get alongside them? How can we encourage them? How can we be praying for them? How can we be doing all we can to nurture them in the faith? But parents, it starts with you by saying, this community of faith is important for our kids even if you don't think it's important for you, it's important for your children. It's hard enough raising children to love and follow the Lord without having a half-baked commitment to the church. You're making it 10 times harder for yourself. This needs to be a bedrock commitment in your family life. Coming to church is not 52 different decisions you make. It's one decision you make. You make it and you say, we're going to church every week. So that you don't have to get up on Sunday and go, well, how do I feel today? How do you feel today? How do the kids feel today? How did the rugby go last night? What's the weather like? Should we go? Do you want to go? Do I want to go? Yeah, does anyone want to go? No. That's how it's going to go. But you don't need to leave that decision to Sunday morning because you've already made it. You made one decision that you will commit to church, that it's a bedrock priority in the life of your family. And so you take the pressure off yourself of having to decide that every Sunday morning. It's already decided. You don't get up in the morning every morning and decide if you're going to go to work, do you? Maybe some of you do. But you know, you go to work because it's a commitment you've made and there's an established 
commitment there, and that's what we do. It should be the same with church. The church should not get the dregs of your family life and your family time. Parents, for the sake of your kids, for the sake of the next generation, make that investment in their lives. Embed them in that community, and then you be invested in that as well. Come around them, whatever age group they're traveling through. Parents of youth, this is just as important for you. Be invested in the youth community that's going on in our church. Get involved. Serve where you can. Encourage the leaders. Show up. Be present. Be around. You're part of this too, but make that commitment that the church is going to be important for the raising of your children. I know there's other things that go on in our weekly schedules. I know you want to give your kids every chance to play every sport and develop in every way, but I also believe you've got to step back at a certain point and ask yourself, what is my greatest desire for my kids? What's most important? Is it most important for me that they are successful? Is it most important for me that they live a comfortable middle-class life? Or is it most important that they come to know and love and follow Jesus and pursue God's will for their life above all? If that, And perhaps you need to do some soul-searching on that question, depending on how you answer it. But if that is the conviction of your heart, that should begin to influence your, your priorities and your values and even your weekly schedule as a family. So parents, make church a priority. Let your kids see you leading by example here, valuing the community of faith and leading them into it as much as you can, especially in those early ages. Mums and dads, you are the world's greatest evangelists. The research shows of people that become Christians, 84% become Christians before the age of 14. So where should our effort go? Into our children. That's when they're open. That's when they're impressionable. Parents, this is the greatest calling we have, to pass our faith along to our children. Let's take it seriously. Let's be intentional. Let's be purposeful. Let's be proactive. And can I just quickly say a word to dads? I think perhaps there's a reason that Paul specifically says fathers in this passage. Because not always, but sometimes, dads, we can abdicate our responsibility for the faith formation of our children to our wives. And we can assume they're the ones that are going to have those conversations. They're the ones that can deal with that stuff. They're the ones that can take them to church. Dads, we've got to step up. We've got to get serious about this. We have a huge role to play. It's not all on us, but it is equally on us to step up, to demonstrate our faith to our children, to lead the charge in heading to church, heading into scripture, heading into the word, whatever it is. Let's be serious about this. Let's take that mantle. Let's model it to our children. Let's show them by our lives and by our commitments that we have an earnest desire for them to come to know the same savior that we do. Dads, let's take this seriously. Let's step up to the plate. So as you step back from this, I don't know where you're at in family life this morning. You're all in different situations. But can I just ask you to consider as we close what one step God might be calling you to take in response to this passage? Maybe it's coming back to the parents, thinking about your own parents. And maybe there's a step that God's calling you to take and saying, hey, your mother, your father, I want you to take a step towards them. I want you to think of me as your heavenly father, and I want you to think what that means in your relationship with your own mother, with your own father. I know how easy it is to squeeze this voice out and get back to your normal life, but would you be courageous enough to step out in commitment to what God's nudging you towards today if it's a step towards honoring your father and mother? And maybe, parents, 
Whatever age your kids are, maybe there's a step that the Holy Spirit is just nudging you today. It's not me, but it's God working in your heart and saying there's a step to take here. There's a renewed commitment to make here. Maybe God is just gently prompting you to take more seriously the calling you have to bring your children up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Whatever that step is, let's step into it and not away from it. And trust God is going to give us the strength every step of the way. Yes, we're going to fail. Yes, we're going to be basket cases. Yes, there is going to be many steps back as well as steps forward. But as we trust God and we support each other in this community and we love each other and we just give truckloads of grace and mercy because we're all broken people on this journey. But as we move forward in this and draw on the support from others around you, we can move forward together. And we can allow the gospel to begin transforming relationships in our own lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our homes. And we're not just honoring people as we do that. We're honoring God. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, we now just gather up all the situations that are here in this room. And, Lord, you know it's all uncovered and laid bare before you. Father, you see every heart that's here. You see every person. Lord, you see the hearts here that are just broken because of strained relationships with families and difficult relationships with parents and really difficult relationships with children. Lord, you know all that. You see all that. Lord, you see the ones here that have great families and just are blessed through having solid, God-honoring families around them, and we praise you for that, and we thank you for that. But God, I pray now that whatever step you're calling us to take, as we think about our own families, we think about our kids, we think about our parents. God, however you're nudging us, however you're prompting us, would you give us the strength of your spirit to respond? Lord, would you give us the strength of your spirit to live out this week what we're being called to today? Lord, whether it's making that phone call, whether it's having a conversation, whether it's simply going through a process in our own heart of allowing you to deal with bitterness and hurt and anger that is there. God, would you come and work by your, by your power? God, we're open to it. Lord, we, just, we bring down the barriers now. I just sense, even as I'm praying, God, that there's still this resistance there in some hearts. There's still just some walls that are up. There's still some defenses that are up. And just people that are still almost just holding up their hands to you in, in a resistant way. Lord, I just pray that you would soften hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you'd break through those defenses, break through those, those justifications, Lord, and just rationalizing things and excusing ourselves. Just break through all of that, Holy Spirit. Bring conviction now. Lord, only you can do this. Bring conviction now into the hearts of people. Bring soft hearts. Bring open hearts. Bring willing hearts. God, we know that what you are calling us to is not easy. But we thank you, Jesus, that we follow you, our Savior, who has gone to the cross for us, who has endured such shame and such humiliation. And we follow you, Jesus in this, knowing that you go before us and will strengthen us at every point. We thank you, God. We thank you above all that we're part of your family, that that's who we are. That's our main family with you as our heavenly father. We're so grateful to be your children. We're so grateful to have you as our good father. We commit ourselves, our lives, our stories, and our families to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz 
or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.